thank you for listening to sermons by Chaplain Braswell. We hope that you are encouraged by these messages and that God will continue to bless you. And now, today's sermon. Well, good morning. We're so glad that you're able to be here and worship with us. I'm so glad we serve a God who is all places at all times and together we can lift up his name and and certainly as God's people we can say it is well. If you have a Bible, I hope that you do have one close at hand, whether it be on your own phone or a, or as, uh, as I say nowadays, a hard copy. I invite you to turn to John chapter 21. We're going to look at the chapter that uh, Chaplain Kelly has already read to us, the, the main story. As we look at uh, what I'm going to call lessons uh, from breakfast. Uh, over the years, I, I've come to relish the Sunday after Easter as one of my favorite Sundays. And the reason for that is this. I, like all believers, love Easter Sunday. I love the excitement. I love the, uh, it was a little different this year, obviously, with all of us being uh, distancing. But I, I, I recall as whether I was a worship pastor, a youth pastor, pastor in a church, uh, serving a congregation in Camp Taji, Iraq, serving a congregation locally somewhere, serving in a chapel. It's always sort of a buildup, right? We, we're building up to the fact that Jesus has risen and Jesus is alive. But over the years, one of the things that I think God has just impressed on my heart, and that is this, and it's one of the reasons I love the Sunday after Easter. Guess what? After Easter and after all the excitement and we eat our big meals and we celebrate, it's kind of like, all right, back to normal. But guess what? The Sunday after Easter, Jesus is still alive. Jesus is still alive. And that gives me hope. I don't know about you. We read the story already from John chapter 21, but I believe today on this Sunday after Easter, I hope and pray that we see the truth that Jesus is still working even after the resurrection. We don't know exactly when this was after the resurrection. All we do know is that Jesus arose on the third day and we learn from the book of Acts that 40 days later, he ascended back into heaven. So somewhere in that time frame, Jesus finds himself once again talking to his disciples around fishing and around water and all those things. As I was uh, studying for this message, I came across a story that uh, the great theologian R.C. Sproul uh, shared in one of his uh, works. And he told a story about when he was a teenager, he was a camp counselor. I want to share it with you. He says this, There was one afternoon, he's in Ohio, there were sightings of tornadoes, and he said the day turned almost as as black as night. Such a violent storm, they sounded the alarm at the camp, which was the signal that every camper, every counselor, and every staff member, they had to come to the dining hall for safety. So imagine gathering all these kids up, it's very scary, don't know what's going on with the storms. They made a head count, and as they were counting those children, guess what? They found out that one was missing. And R.C. Sproul, as a young teenager, said that he looked out the window and he could see on the lake and he found out where the one was that was missing. He was in a canoe on that lake. Four or five hundred yards out, campers fighting as hard as the camper could to get back to safety. And there was an empty canoe on shore, so what did R.C. Sproul do? Well, you can guess. He jumped into that canoe and he paddled as fast as he could. Now, As he tells the story, he had a tailwind, so the wind was in his favor going out there. So he tore through those few hundred yards in that aluminum canoe very, very quickly. About five minutes, he said. He got the the camper, got him in his canoe, and started paddling back. He was against the current. He was against the wind. 
it took him 45 minutes to travel that four or 500 yards back to shore. And he said this, if I could have abandoned the canoe and jumped in the water, that's what I would have done. He said, I felt like Peter at that point. I couldn't wait to get to shore. And you remember in the story, Peter, he couldn't wait to get to shore. Well, let's go back and talk through this story for just a little bit. And then after we uh, review this story, what I want to do is share with us lessons from breakfast. I believe that the resurrected Jesus, the resurrected Lord, is still working today. And I hope and pray as we look at this together that we'll see some of those lessons from breakfast as well. The Bible says, as Chaplain Kelly already read, that Jesus uh, revealed himself again to the disciples. It says, by the Sea of Tiberias. Well, that's the Sea of Galilee. Keep in mind... The events of the crucifixion took place down near Jerusalem. The Sea of Galilee is north of there. It's not exactly right down the road. It's 60 plus miles away. What does that tell us? Well, here's what that tells us. That tells us that at some point, these disciples left Jerusalem, left the area where Jesus was crucified, left the area where he rose from the dead, and they went back to uh, their homes. The Bible also says in this passage in verse 1 that Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples. Uh, what does that mean? I take it perhaps to mean that this is another one of Jesus's miraculous revealings, maybe. The same way that he entered the room. Remember, he sort of appeared in the room. Another thing I want to point out about this story of breakfast and catching fish and miraculous fish is that this is a different story than the other fish stories earlier in the other Gospels. Uh, in, in Matthew chapter 4 and Mark chapter 1, it, talk, it tells a story about Jesus calling Peter, calling Andrew. Remember, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. James and John, he calls them as well. This is a different story than that. It's also a different story from the one in Luke chapter number 5. That's where Luke adds the detail of Jesus telling them to put out their nets for a catch. It sounds very familiar to this story, but it's another time Jesus did that. Remember Simon Peter, what did he say in that story in Luke 5? He said, uh, Lord, we've caught, we've toiled all night, we've caught nothing, but at your word I'll let down the nets. You know what happened. They caught so many fish, the net was about to break, but it didn't break. And then Jesus says the great words, I'll make you fishers of men. I can't help but think that that story is in their mind as they experience this. What did the disciples think during this story? Were they doubtful? Were they excited? Remember, these men were, were fishermen, and fish, fish are funny things. Just when you think you figured out fishing, the fish gets a vote. My granddaddy told me that to catch fish, and he was a big-time fisherman. My dad fishes. I love to fish. But he said you got to do three things. you got to give fish what they want. you got to go where they're at, and you got to give it to them when they want it. The reason I say that is were the disciples excited that they fished all night in John chapter 21 and caught nothing and maybe they were, maybe they're anticipating Jesus pulling it through another a miraculous catch. I remember when I was growing up as a teenager, we, um, a, a cousin of mine, his, his family had access to a, to a place that was a, a great place to fish down in Jackson, South Carolina. And my cousin and I went there one day and we caught the largemouth bass. I mean, we caught them. We caught them and we caught them and we caught them until our arms got tired. In fact, we fished until the trolling motor battery died. So we thought we finally got these fish figured out. We, lay, we laid into the fish now. 
Day two, my cousin, he said, well, I'm going to get my grandfather. That is not, not our common grandfather, but the grandfather on, on the other side of the family. He said, I'm going to get my granddad and I'm going to take him out there. I said, yeah, you ought to do that. He'll love that. Took him out there, same place, different day, exact same conditions it seemed like, and they caught nothing. They caught absolutely nothing. Fish are funny. These disciples, they went out and they caught Nothing. They're back at the Sea of Galilee. Sometime within that 40-day window after Jesus rose from the dead and after Jesus ascended back to heaven. These disciples essentially went back home. Who were they? Well, the Bible tells us in John 21 it was Peter, it was Thomas, it was Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. And you heard the story. What did Peter say? They're back at home. We don't know why. He just says... I'm going fishing. And why were they there? They were there to catch fish. They're, they're fishermen. They're not just killing time. They're not just having a leisure time. They're there to catch fish. But all night they caught nothing. Jesus comes with that famous statement, cast your net on the right side of the boat. And they do it. In fact, John is so specific that he tells us the exact number of the fish. It's 153. And then Simon Peter who couldn't wait to get out of the boat like R.C. Sproul, but for different reasons he couldn't wait to get out of the boat. He heard it was the Lord. It, the Bible literally says he threw himself into the sea. He's 100 yards off, and Jesus says, Will y'all come over here and have breakfast with me? It also says nobody asked, Is this Jesus? Apparently at this point they finally figured out this was the resurrected Lord. And John also wants us to know that this was the third time that Jesus was revealed to his disciples after the resurrection. Jesus is still working after the resurrection in this story. Jesus is still working here in our day, a Sunday after the resurrection. He is still working to restore you and restore me. He is still working in our lives, just like one of the songs we sing, Even When I Don't See It, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. God, you never stop working. God is still at work in your life and in mine. And as we look at these lessons from breakfast, I want to look at the rest of the chapter. I want to unpack it. And I want to share with you three things that I believe we see that the Lord does. And in doing so, I hope that it helps us to take some of these lessons that Jesus taught his disciples. Point number one. The Lord restores us to love through serving others. I'll say that again. Point number one, the Lord restores us to love through serving others. I want you to go back to your copy of the Bible, and I want to read another section of this story. In verse number 15 of John 21, John says this, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, You'll probably remember this story. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to them a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Notice three times. He said to him the third time, verse number 17, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, 
Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. It is, it is no accident that Jesus three times asked Peter, do you love me? Jesus is setting us up in this story, or excuse me, John, as he writes, John is setting us up in this story to focus on Peter. Peter is the one who jumps out of the boat and who swims to shore. Peter is the conversation that John concentrates on because John wants us to see something from this. John wants us to see that the Lord restores us to love through serving others. It is no accident that Jesus asked him three times, Peter, do you love me? I'm sure you remember the story of, of, the, of the passion narrative as Peter says, Lord, I'll never deny you. What did Jesus say? He said, Peter, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And you know the story. They arrested Jesus. As Peter's hanging around warming himself by a fire, we get recorded not once, not twice, but three times Peter denying, I don't know this man. I tell you, I don't know this man and the rooster crows. This is a picture of a loving heavenly father who is still not finished working even after the resurrection. He says to Peter, do you love me? He says it three times. He says, feed my sheep, tend my lambs. Now, now what does that mean? We know that Peter becomes a great leader in the early church, and Jesus is preparing Peter for what God has for him next. And that is, is, is as if Peter's going to love God, his focus is going to be loving God through serving other people, through taking care of the people around Peter that God has entrusted him with. Uh, Jesus, in many ways, is giving him the why of everything. In other words, not just what to do, but why we do it. God's called Peter, why? So that he can be a blessing to others. Jesus' words to Peter and to us, it, it contains the why inherently in it. Feeding the sheep, taking care of other people. I want you to turn back one chapter and I want to show you one passage of scripture. And if you don't have, if you don't have a way to turn there, that's okay. I'll, I'll read it to you. In John chapter 20, the last two verses, John the Apostle gives us the very reason that he writes his letter, his, 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 his gospel. And he said this, he said, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are, are not written in this book. But these are written, he says, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Uh, John is giving us the reason he writes his gospel is so that we will believe that Jesus is the Christ. As Jesus has this conversation with Peter after breakfast, Jesus is restoring Peter. Peter, this one who has failed, is now restored. And he's not just restored just to sit there, he's restored to continue being a part of what God is doing in the world. That's why Sunday after Easter is one of my favorite Sundays of the year because it reminds all of us, I believe, that Jesus, the Sunday after Easter, he's very much just as much alive then as he was last week and he is still working in your life and in mine. Jesus says to feed his sheep. That is, he's calling Peter to feed, to love, to take care of the people who ultimately belong to God. Who has God put in your life? for you to tend, for you to love, for you to take care of. 
it's interesting that in a study that was done recently by psychologists, I, I ran across this about, uh, several months ago. One of my chaplain friends brought it to me, and he said this. He said that the psychologist most recently found out that if you are depressed and you help other people, it'll help you feel better. And I always think it's amazing when we, in, in all of our wisdom, finally catch up with something that Jesus told us 2,000 years ago. Jesus says, your purpose in life, Peter, is to be a blessing to other people, to love people. Who are those people in your life that God has called you to love? Now, number two, not only is the Lord restoring us through us loving and serving others, he restores us. But number two, the Lord is in control of our days. The Lord, he's in control of our days. I want you to keep reading with me in the passage here to the, to the next verses, verse, verses 18 and 19. After Jesus tells him about this, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me, Jesus said this to Peter. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Now, what is Jesus talking about with this passage? What does he mean by you used to be young and do this and now you're old? What is, what is he talking about? Well, John gives us a little bit of hint here. John, John answers the, the story a little bit with some... With some um, with, with, with a little bit here in verse 19, he says, he says that Jesus is showing us by what death he was to glorify God. That is, this is John, perhaps older, looking back on this scene and now understanding, oh, that's what Jesus was talking about. The Lord is in control of our days. When I pondered on this passage, uh, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. Some of you are young. Some of you have to think back a long ways maybe to think about what it is to be young, and I know young is relative, but, but think about youth, the young. What, 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 is a, what is a quality sometimes of youth? We, we can, we can, we can, we're kind of invincible, right? We don't think about death. The young typically don't think about what's going to happen next necessarily. I don't have to think about 10, 20 years from now. I'm, I'm living right now. And I think maybe that's where Jesus is coming from a little bit with this statement of dressing yourself, walking wherever you wanted. I can't help but think of the book of James when James says, don't go around saying, next year I'll go do this and I'll go do this and I'll go buy this property. Remember what the book of James said that we're to do? He said, you say, if God wills, we will do those things. Jesus is reminding Peter that Although we find out from John that he's going to face some unpleasant days. We know from history that, G, uh, that Peter himself was also crucified. We don't know that from the scriptures, but other uh, records tell us that Peter himself was crucified. But Jesus, even in that, is reminding him that he is still working and that the Lord is still in control of his days. It's amazing to me how many of us right now have to think about the fact that we really aren't in control of a lot of things. And that can be very, very scary. We realize that. 
but we also realize and I hope and pray that we take comfort in the fact that just as Jesus was in control of Peter's days, did you know that Jesus is in control of your days too? Do, do you believe that? I think about being, I've been a, uh, uh, I'm active duty army chaplain serving in a hospital and I've talked to many, many um, people in their, in their older years. And it's, it's amazing to me to talk to mature Christians many times in their older years where they've come to a, a point where they know they've got a lot of days, a lot more days behind them than they do ahead of them. But the amazing peace that I've seen many, many of my brothers and sisters in Christ who have been on this earth and, or were on this earth a lot longer than me as they face what's next, as they face death, as they face meeting their Savior. It's amazing to me some of the peace that comes from many of those beloved saints. I remember one in particular, this was before I was in the military, I preached a funeral of a lady and she was very, very sick and, and it, it, was, it fell upon me to kind of be the main pastor to go and see her in the hospital and those kind of things. So I did all those things. As a, I was a young man then in my 20s and went, and went and visited her, prayed with her and all those things. And she, I, I didn't know everything about what was going on, but I, I figured out enough by talking to the family that she apparently had gotten essentially the news that, that she wasn't going to live very much longer. And this was my final conversation I had with her. As, as I shared with her and as I, I did my tip, I don't remember what I prayed. I have no idea, but I prayed and I'd said my goodbyes. And she, she said, hey, before you leave, and I turned around and I'll never forget the way she looked at me. She said, if I don't see you again on earth, I'll see you in heaven. And I walked out the door and she died about two or three days later. And I was able to share that standing there with her loved ones at her funeral on a July day in South Carolina. I'll never forget it because it was about 185 degrees. I felt like and I was in my suit outside, but I'll never forget the tremendous impact that had on me because at that moment, this truth became real for her. It was not a platitude. It was not just some fluffy thing we say. In fact, as I think about all the great statements that's impacted my life over the years, her one simple statement, I'll see you in heaven again one day, was probably one of the realest things that this pastor or chaplain has ever heard. God has your days in his hands. We can trust him. I encourage you to do so. I encourage you to maybe today, afresh and anew, pause and say that little psalm, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and I'll be glad in it because the Lord's got my days in his hands. So the Lord restores us to love, to serve other people. The Lord is in control of our days. And then point number three, the Lord wants us to focus on following him. The Lord wants us to focus on following him. Now to see this, I want to read the rest of the chapter for you. So turn, if you have it, turn to uh, verse number 20 in John 21. And what we're going to see here is Peter, he's learned a lot of things, but you're going to see him get sidetracked a little bit here. I don't know about you, but there's times I get sidetracked. That's what I call it, just getting sidetracked, losing focus. That's what's going to happen. Watch it. Here it comes. Verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. Now that's John. John's writing the story, but John's talking about himself. It's John. 
He says he saw that disciple following them, the one who had leaned back against during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? In other words, Peter turns and he sees John. That's what that means. Verse 21. When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, now watch this, Lord, what about this man? Now Jesus doesn't come across as absolutely scolding him or berating him for this, but I want you to think about what's happening. Jesus got through making this profound statement to Peter. You're going to somebody's going to carry you where you do not want to go. And then John gives us the note, by the way, this is talking about Peter's death. And then Jesus ends it with, bottom line, follow me. Peter comes back with, well, what about John? Jesus, again, I don't think in a scolding way. I don't, I don't, I don't think he's angry per se, but here's what he said. Verse 22, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die, yet Jesus did not say to them, him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? John is simply wanting to make the point that Jesus is not saying John is just going to live until Jesus comes back. He, apparently that had gotten out and John wanted to correct that. But the main point that Jesus is making here is as Peter says, hey, what about John? Jesus says, well, if I let John live, however long I let him live, what is that to you? What I still want you to focus on, Peter, is I want you and I need you and I'm commanding you to follow me. That's what he wants him to do. He wants him to follow him at the end of the day. I can't help but think of another passage. Uh, you won't have to turn there. I'll read it to you in 1 Timothy 4, 16. Uh, play, pay close attention, Paul says, to yourself and, and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you'll ensure salvation both for ourselves and for, for those who hear you. I also am reminded of probably grandmother's advice all around the world. Mind your own business, right? Getting sidetracked. Jesus is simply making the point here that the Lord wants us to focus on following Him. It's easy to get sidetracked. What, what are some of those things that, that sidetrack us? Well, I'm going to share a few of them with you uh, as we think about ways we get sidetracked and the, the fact that the Lord wants us to focus on following Him. One is this. We get sidetracked on things that you and I cannot control. We get sidetracked on things you and I cannot control. As a, as, a, as a military chaplain, I've had the privilege of teaching a, a couple of um, relationship trainings and those kind of things. And, and one of the ones that's very powerful has this, has this lesson in it where it has the, the class. Uh, you give them little sticky notes. And on one sticky note, you write a whole bunch of stuff of things you can control. And on the other sticky note, you write a bunch of things you cannot control. And it is always eye-opening and amazing for people to see in, in their, as they think through things what they really can control and what they really cannot control. Here's what happens to you and here's what happens to me. We turn our attention to things we cannot control and then it becomes an obsession with us and in doing so, we have no vision left to hear from God. Uh, we have no vision left to love and to serve maybe those people that God has put right in front of us. Uh, we, have, we have no vision to trust God with our future. Uh, things we cannot control. We cannot control what sicknesses we get. 
I want you to do social distancing. I want you to do all those things. But there's a lot of things you and I cannot control. You and I cannot control when the army or when the military is going to PCS you. There's a lot of people right now who are in, in the world of there's no control over it. We can get sidetracked if we focus on things we cannot control. We can also get sidetracked with, with a, what I call a preoccupation, an unhealthy preoccupation with things. I don't, I don't mean those things we're preoccupied with that are inherently evil. Some things are simple. Uh, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't kill, uh, don't, don't look at pornography. The things that we know are right and wrong, that's not what I'm talking about. If, if those things are sidetracking us, then we repent to the Lord and we turn back to Him. But I'm talking about things that aren't inherently evil that we have an unhealthy preoccupation with. It could be music, it could be movies, it could be hobbies, it could be smartphones, it could be social media, it could be our careers. What I mean is, I encourage us, like Jesus is focusing on Peter. Peter, I need you to, don't get sidetracked by that. I need you to focus on what I'm telling you. Follow me. What I encourage you and I to do is take stock. What are some of those things that preoccupy your time and preoccupy my time, especially right now in these past few weeks? Are some of those things unhealthy? If they are, maybe we need to shed those things so that we can focus on the task of following Jesus. Following Jesus is the most important thing. I'll share a passage of Scripture with you as we get ready to wrap up here. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talked about worry. Jesus talked about these things. He, he, I'll summarize part of it. Remember he said, don't, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink. What you'll put on is life's more than food. And remember, he gives examples of two things. He says, look at, the, look at the birds of the air. They don't worry about those things. They don't sow. They don't reap. God feeds them. He says, look at the lilies of the field. He says, even Solomon in all of his glory weren't as beautiful as them. So he says, don't be anxious. And then he makes that great statement. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness in all these things will be added to you. Seek God. Focus on Him. I believe that God is still working in our lives even after the resurrection. I believe that the Lord still has something for us in the midst of our struggles right now. My hope and my prayer is that in all these things we find those people in our lives that God's called us to serve, to tend, to feed, to shepherd, in doing so, knowing God's in control and that we don't get sidetracked like we often do. The good news about this Lord is that He restores. He'll restore you and me and He'll bring us back in a right relationship with Him and He'll prepare us to serve and love. I invite you to pray with me and we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, I pray that we, as your, we are your sheep, you are our God. We're your people and the sheep of your pasture, as you say in one place in Scripture. I pray that we would be able to, just like these disciples, as they think about their time with the Lord at breakfast, I pray that our time with you on a Sunday after Easter 
in the midst of a world that's been radically changed for most of us. I pray that we could know that you are still working and that it can be well with our soul as we sung about earlier because, Jesus, you still want what's best for us. May we turn to you in these days. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. May God bless you, and I hope and pray uh, that this is a blessed week for you. If we can do anything to support you, reach out to us at Walter Reed uh, Pastoral Care. Have a great week. May God bless. Jesus is still alive. Amen.